Well, warning, warning. War just going as CP, they got a gun. It's happening. Hello, guys. Welcome back to Discovering SCP. <laughs> the for real this time. <laughs> hey, it's me, Tanhini, and this is my friend. Michael. Mike? No. Who are you? No, You're... I mean Michael. We killed Michael. What do we do with his body? You killed Michael. I had nothing to do with it. Oh, That's a lie, you know it. You Tandy said we had Darnell to find... Tandy are standing over a, under a, a blazing sun in the desert. The body of Michael is visible. Blood leaking onto the sand through a bullet wound between his eyes. The, the smoke is still pouring from Darnell's gun. Open scene. Okay, well, they don't know the part that happened five seconds before where you shot him and then handed the gun to me. No. No. You tried to hold him up, but you didn't have trigger discipline. You're the one who said we had to find that man, so we tracked him down, and then to, you killed him on sight. find him, not kill him. You're the one who killed him, damn it. You don't maybe there's an SCP at work here. Maybe, maybe if we pour through the files, we'll find out we're being tricked somehow. Could it be that we don't remember what happened? Uh... Maybe oh, I have the special files here. Oh, Darnell, you remember that oh. SCP, right? S well, I'm just I'm gonna go out of my my my, my shitty voice now. This is like me, actually me now. You remember SCP fifty okay. five, right? No, well, of course you don't. But that, you, out of out of universe, do you do you remember it or not? Because the gimmick is that you don't remember it. <laughs> No, I actually don't remember it. It's the one that you can't remember. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I didn't know that you say that, but I legitimately didn't remember it. <laughs> See, wow, that worked out really well. For yeah, your point. so remember that was an anti-meme. If only there was some kind yeah. of division that could deal with anti-memes like, like that. Like a pro-meme? No, like a division, like an anti-meme division. Or... An anti-memetics uh, division? Oh. Yeah. yeah, the SCP doesn't have the most creative naming scheme, except for MTF names. Those are always fun. So, we, what we have today are maybe free tales, maybe. Depends on how long it takes to get through each one. But these are right. from the these going to be from the series that's called "There Is No Anti-Memetics yeah. Division" by Quantum. So this is sort of a little Ooh. mini tale series within the SCP universe. Shout out to that time we said there were going to be three SCPs last episode, and then we barely finished one. You know, <laughs> I do what I want. But anyway, <laughs> shall we get into it? Hi. Here's the first one. It's called We Need to Talk About 55 by Quantum. Oh, I now I know what 55 is. That's why you wanted to, Wow, this one has a lot of upvotes for a tale. Holy crap. Yeah, it's very, Usually very, tales, it's very I feel like, series. get the short end of the stick. I believe you, but I feel like we've run a lot of good tales that only have, like, 50 upvotes. So now, in the Angel's Place tradition, why don't you proceed? Wow. Awesome. Can I smoke? This time, the receptionist narrows her eyes at Marion. No, she says. You... No, you can't smoke anywhere on Site 200. Just because it's an administration building doesn't mean we don't have lungs. Oh my god, fucking one of these people. Or labor law. I hate those people so much. Marion notices the exasperation on the young woman's face. I've asked you that before, haven't I? Twice in the last quarter hour, the receptionist says. He must really need a smoke. She's genuinely puzzled at the repeated question, and she's doing a bad job of concealing her puzzlement. 
You think this is like memento, don't you? Marion offers charitably. You think I have no long-term memory, and if I stay in one place for too long, I forget why I'm there. The receptionist is only just old enough to remember that film. I guess? Marion smiles sympathetically and shakes her head. It's nothing so simple. Minutes pass. She toys obsessively with her lighter. She is turning 50 this year and slowly graying, well on her way out of petite towards little old lady. In her bag, her phone beeps because it's time for a pill, but she tells it to remind her later. There's a slight trembling... I love how this is like an elderly woman and I gave her like the fucking 30-year-old badass action movie voice. Because I thought... (laughs) I'm just going to stick with it. There's a slight tremble in her fingers, but that's not age-based infirmity. That's just ordinary nerves. She's nervous because she's here to meet an O5, and O5s are scary. O5s never want to see you for a small thing. It's the end of the world or nothing. Or Cassie. So... <laughs> Finally, 40 minutes late, the door to the inner office opens. Four or five high ranked foundationers spill out, carrying laptops or briefcases. As a group, they head straight past reception and out to cars, which are waiting. Marion recognizes a few of the faces the Site 19 site director, the head recruiter for Western Europe. None of them glance in their direction. <laughs> Excuse me. Once they're gone, O5 8's assistant pokes his head around the door. He's 20 something, and probably youthful, like a teenager stuffed into one of his dad's business shirts. His haircut is barely regulation. They have regulation haircuts in the SCP? Probably. Well, yes, apparently. <laughs> I, I thought all the doctors had, like, wacky hair. And that was, like, their whole thing. They're too good at their jobs. They can't be enforced. <laughs> in one hand, he holds a tablet computer showing his boss's day planner. It's packed. The man evidently does not sleep. Marion, you can come through now. <laughs> the office door closes behind them with an unusually heavy mechanical clunk, as if the whole thing is part of a machine built into the office walls. While Marion takes the indicated chair and sets her bag down, the assistant turns and does some confusing additional things to the door, causing it to make several further strange noises. O5s have non-trivial privacy and security requirements. The office is spacious, but somehow contrives to be dark, despite two big corners of window and broad daylight outside. The walls are all bookshelves and darkwood paneling, perfectly stylish, but a style from the 90s, a little worn and not yet old enough to be fashionable again. As for the fellow behind the desk, well, an 05 never looks like you imagine. Marion takes a deep breath. So what's the topic? All I got was the meeting invitation, no agenda or subject. I'm just going to say, I, mean, I really fi- don't think, I'm probably going to regret this voice in the future, and I think this is our chance to... <laughs> I mean, an O5 says, an O5 says, jump, you jump, but... Looking to her right, she notices that the assistant, without saying anything or making any undue noise, has set his tablet down on the table, produced a gun, and aimed it at her head. Marion stops talking. She sits still in her chair for a little while, absorbing the change of pace, letting her heart rate rise to a hummingbird's and then start to flatten again. Okay, she hazards. She licks her lips and, is this a better voice? I would say maybe a little less elderly. She's like 50, not like 90. Okay, she hazards. She licks her lips and grips the armrests, otherwise staying perfectly still, waiting for another prompt. The assistant's face is totally neutral now, like this is just how meetings go. Maybe it is for people up here. Who are you? 05-8 asks her. Marion blinks. What? Oh, God. Let me rephrase, 05-8 says. Marion Wheeler, 49, with loving husband and two boys in tow. Likes camping, hiking, and ornithology. Boring mother with perfect airtight background and financials, as far back as we can examine. And you've got full foundation credentials which we've never issued, including access to a list of installations and rooms which some of these locations don't exist or were torn down decades ago. At least one hasn't been built yet, yet you've got the front door key to it. 
That's before we get to your SCP access controls list, which I can only term as egregious. Is this him continuing to talk yeah. here? So you're a spy and your objectives are misaligned with ours, and Clay wanted to cut Zai 3 loose on you, but I was able to bring him around. I talked to him face to face. Into a face to face. I thought there was a slim chance that if we locked you in a bombproof room and asked politely, you'd have the good sense to spare yourself the rest. Marion had long since stopped listening. You dullard, she says now, she can finally speak. I'm your chief of anti-memetics. We don't have an anti Memetics division, Clay says. Wait, is Clay the same as O five eight? I think I got no, confused. No, he's the younger guy. We don't have an anti-memetics division, Clay says. Yes, you do. We do. O five eight says we have a memetics division, a telecontainment division, fire services, opse, opsb, personnel, d personnel, and two dozen others. We don't have an anti-memetics division. Do we have an irony division? Marion asks. She hesitates hopefully. No. All right. We'll try this. Why do you think the anti-memetics division would show up in the listing? This is just a cover story, Clay says to 05-8, not taking his eyes off Marion. It's a good one, but she's had it worked out in advance. Clay lose the piece, says the 05. Grudgingly, Clay does so. Marion relaxes fractionally. There are SCPs with dangerous memetic properties, she says. There are contagious concepts which require containment, just like any physical threat. They get inside your head and read your mind to reach other minds, right? Right. 05-8 says he can name a score of SCPs fitting this description without even thinking. There are SCPs with anti-memetic properties, Marion goes on. There are ideas which cannot be spread. There are entities and phenomena which harvest and consume information, particularly information about themselves. You take a Polaroid photo of one, it'll never develop. You write a description down with a pen and paper and hand it to someone, but what you've written turns out to be hieroglyphs. And nobody can understand them, not even you. You can look directly at one, and it won't even be invisible, but you'll still perceive nothing there. Dreams you can't hold on to, and secrets you can never share, and lies, and living conspiracies. It's a conceptual subculture of ideas consuming other ideas, and sometimes segments of reality. Sometimes people. Which makes them a threat. That's, that's all there is to it, really. That's, that's not what I think. No. I, I don't... Uh, it's really it's weird it that do, they it doesn't end. It. it doesn't end with the quote mark, that's how you can tell. Okay, but there was a new quote mark at the beginning. That's what confused me. See where it says which? <clears throat> which makes them a threat. That's all there is to it, really. Anti-memes are dangerous, and we don't understand them. Therefore, they are part of the problem, capitalized, uh, of note, to readers at home, or, or listeners. Uh, hence my division. We can do the sideways thinking that's needed to combat something, which can literally eat your combat training. 05-8 stares back at her for a long moment. Clay fidgets, disliking and distrusting the story, but the 05 seems more open to the concept. <laughs> Name one, he says. Name an anti-memetic SCP. SCP-055, Marion says promptly. There is no SCP-055. Oh, wait, this is Clay. There is no SCP-055, Clay retorts. Again? Yes, there is. There isn't, Clay asserts. SCP numbers aren't assigned sequentially. There are gaps. That number hasn't been assigned. It's not superstition. We have enough to be concerned about without arbitrary numerological mysticism. We have 666 and 013, but there's no 001, and there's no 055. Clay, 05-8 says, you should look at this. He turns his monitor so Clay can see the file that he's just retrieved. Clay bends over and reads it from top to bottom. Stunned, he scrolls back and reads it all a second time. But... The file's dated from 2008, 05-8 says. It's got all the right flags and signatures. It's keyed and coded. It's real. This is funny to me because I like how 
They specified Clay and the receptionist are younger, and this is an older woman. Because you really would need old people to keep this up if it constantly people are forgetting, right? Yeah. You need those dated-ass dinosaurs. This is the boomer division. <laughs> but, but boomers you like. You've seen this before? Clay asks him. Never in my life, 05-8 says. As far as I can remember, anyway. On the other hand, if the content is accurate, both of us have probably seen it dozens of times. Clay glares at Marion. This isn't possible! Marion nearly spits. Pah! For Christ's sake, Clay, how long have you been working here? But if this SCP is this powerful... He begins. Yes? Who wrote the file? The O5 finishes. And for that matter, how was the interview conducted? And who is Bartholomew Hughes? And most importantly, how do you, Mrs. Wheeler, retain knowledge of any of this? Bart Hughes wrote the file. He's dead, Marion says. What happened to him? You don't want to know. There's a very long pause while both O5-8 and his assistant react to this. In fact, they pass through a long, discreet sequence of reactions. Indignation at the seeming rudeness, confusion at Wheeler's incaution in front of sinister superiors, surprise at the magnitude of the claim, pure disbelief, comprehension, and finally horror. Uh, do you want to take over? What? O5-8 asks carefully, would happen if we did know? It would happen to you as well, Marion says levelly. As for the rest of your questions, we manage that pharmaceutically. You know we have Class A amnestics for people who very need, badly need to forget things. Well, of course you do. Who could forget about Class A amnestics? Well, in antimimetics, we have a different pill for people who would need to remember things that would otherwise be impossible to remember. Nestic class. Class W. Oh, that's so... That's so cool. Because I was wondering about that, actually, in my head. Like, do they have the opposite of this shit? And I think I feel like I've seen that word nestics around. That's, that's really clever. Uh, I like this tale. It's clever. Saint Greek root is the word mnemonic. The M is silent. In her bag, her phone beeps again. With a nod of approval from the O5, Marion reaches into her bag and turns her phone off, acknowledging the prompt this time instead of postponing it. She pulls a blister pack from another pocket and pops a pill out. It's hexagonal and green. She holds it up and is satisfied to see a flicker of recognition on O58's face. He's beginning to put it back together. I think one thing that's interesting about this is the O5s are always these mysterious guys which is cool in its own way but i think a lot of people take that as make them powerful and like all-knowing but it's kind of interesting to see an o5 one of the heads of the organization be confounded by something you know and it makes sense with how wide scps are they can't it feels like certain people or divisions are good against certain scps like pokemon type effectiveness yeah Mm. like like it makes sense that there's not one guy that's just op against all scps so it's kind of interesting to see an o5 be vulnerable but not necessarily in a way that detracts from him being an O5. Yeah. Marion says, These are class W amnestics, the weakest, suitable for continual use. Two pills per day. Go down to the site pharmacy and ask. The pharmacist will claim they don't stock any such thing. They're misremembering. Tell them to double-check. O5-8 sighs. And now I think I get it. I see why we're having this conversation at all. Yes, Marion says, popping a second pill out and handing it over to him. It's because you missed a dose. You're supposed to be on these, the same as me and everybody on my staff. It's the only way we can work. You forgot to take a pill, and then you forgot all the information that the pills were helping you retain. You forgot why you were taking them, who gave them to you, where to get more. You forgot about me and my entire department, and now I have to bring you up to speed. And if I take this, 058 says, I remember this whole conversation and we won't have to have it again. Hopefully not, Marion says. Clay pipes up. Uh, should I be taking those? Sorry, kiddo. <laughs> no. Sorry, kiddo. Need to know. Maybe when you're an O5 yourself. 
He swallows the pill. Marion swallows hers too. I like so, that too because it implies that O5 is just a corporate position you can get to, which makes more sense than like this mysterious overlords. I lo- I like this tale a lot. Yeah, it's really good world building. So I agree. So what is SCP-55? O5 asks. Well, SCP-55 is nothing. Marion says, now relaxing entirely. SCP-55 is, as described in the file, a powerful information information autosuppressor. As far as experimentation is uncovered, it can only be defined in negative terms. We can only record what it isn't. We know it isn't safe or Euclid. We know it isn't round or square or green or silver. We know it isn't stupid. And we know it isn't alone. But what we do know is that it's weak. It's weak because it's the only antimimetic agent in our possession which has a physical entry in the files. We have paper records of the thing. We have containment procedures. It's not safe, which means it's dangerous, but it's contained. 058 blinks. You have procedures? Were. Marion points at her head. Then how many other anti-memes are there? How much more dangerous do they get? Ten that I know of, Marion says. Statistically, probably at least five more that I don't know of. This does not count the antimimetic entities freely roaming the halls not under containment. There are at least two in this room with us right now. Don't look. I said don't look. It's pointless. So I assume these are like memes that you can't perceive, but they they aren't actively harming them in the room or whatever. Yeah. 058 does an impressive job of controlling himself, keeping his attention focused on Marion. Clay doesn't fare so well and quickly sweeps the whole room, even checking behind his back, making him ask himself, essentially. He finds nothing. He looks baffled. There is an invisible monster which follows me around and likes to eat my memories, Marion explains patiently. SCP-4987. Don't look it up, it's not there. I've learned to Wait, manage... Wait, is that a... Can, will that be a different SCP if we it go to that? It is a different SCP, yeah. Interesting. I've learned to manage with it. It's like a demanding pet. I produce tasty memories on purpose so it doesn't eat something important, like my passwords or how to make coffee. And what's the other one? Clay asks. With another nod from 058, Marion goes to her bag again. This time she pulls out a gun and shoots Clay twice in the heart. More aghast than in pain, Clay collapses sharply against the bookcase behind him. Pulling his head around to face Marion, he manages, Ow, did you? No! Marion stands. He was the anti-meme the whole time! She aims more carefully and shoots him a third time, this time in the head. 058, again, does an impressive job of not reacting. That's Clay's gun, he deadpans. You stole it from him. Well, it's tricky to steal a firearm this heavy from someone without them noticing, Marion explains, unloading it and carefully setting it down. But stealing a firearm and then stealing their memory of the theft is a little easier. Like I said, a pet. Ugh. Some pets are <laughs> that they can be trained. That's so cool because with the nature of the anti-memetics division, they probably have more freedom to do shit that normally would never be greenlit or allowed. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. That makes stand. them... It, that unironically makes them infinitely cooler because no one can remember them. They can get away with so much bullshit. They can use in their daily lives even. They can probably abuse the hell out of their... Like, it's literally like having a stand. They yeah, can't be... Thing following up. <laughs> yeah, I know, but but like in her case, right? She can use that however she wants. It literally is a stand. You can't be punished in the eyes of the law, so the O5 will have to judge you myself. Clay, what you just so witnessed and felt was your future self. <laughs> What? Oh, I thought you were reading again. I was like, no, no way. No, it wasn't. <laughs> King Crimson. Oh my god. Yes, 058 says evenly. That much I'd guessed, but why? Because you were supposed to be taking class demunestics, Marion says. You can't skip a dose of class demunestic. I've tried. 
You can postpone a dose, but you can't forget unless someone actively prevents you from taking it. There's only one person who could get close enough for you to, to do that, and that's your assistant. And remember when I asked him how long he'd been working here? He didn't answer. 058 says, I thought you were being rhetorical. He doesn't work here, Marion says. He's an anti-meme, since when do you have an assistant? You don't I was going to say, it seemed weird that someone as secret as an 05 would have an assistant. Yeah. You don't have an assistant, Brent. Brent? Look at this office. Yeah, he just, he just says his name. It's got one desk. It's 05-8 canonically Brent. I get from now on, yeah. It's got one desk. You've got a receptionist outside. She's the one who screens your calls and schedules your meetings. Where does Clavin sit? Where does he fit? Well, don't blame yourself. You're human. And these things are redaction incarnate. You need to think like a space alien to get around them. 058 asks a question which, in any other workplace, would be absurd. Is he dead? Maybe, Marion says. I can put his corpse in our research queue and we'll see what we can see when we open him up. The duality here, though, they're like parallel universes sharing the same space. It's conceptual versus concrete, figurative versus physical. It's very unusual for things to cross over. I don't know what Clay was, but he had a human body, which instantly makes him weird even by our standards. As ever, the search for stalemates continues. I'll let you know if we get any closer. Any side effects of these pills? 058 asks. Nausea, dramatically increased risk of pancreatic cancer, Marion says, and very bad dreams. Easy, just counteract the side effects with the heal everything pills. Of course, there's not that many of them though. (laughs) I love how Marion Wheeler has her own tag. The only tags are Marion Wheeler and Tail. (laughs) This was a really cool, um, this was a really cool article. Well done, Quantum. Uh, I feel like it was a very well written tale. Mm. Um, I'm trying to put in the words my thought process about this because it's one of those things where, like, my. <laughs> well, let's ask our co-host no, my he- Clay. <laughs> Clay, Clay, Sama. It's just my head's really fuzzy, so it's hard to put it in the words. But like, the writing's pretty clever, and uh, they bring up points of like things that. I know I said I was thinking, I swear, like, I was like, why does an 05 have an assistant? Like, they bring up subtle things that, that, like, it's very easy in, like, a, a series, like a book or an anime, to be like, I had this the whole time, and it's blah, but they actually leave the clues all through the tale, mm. assuming you have a knowledge of the universe that it's you like, can, like, it, pick like up and marry and, like, think about fit. it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it does a really good job of conveying that without it just, like, surprising you at the last minute. And it also does a, a much cooler job of humanizing the Foundation, because one, I think that's genuinely more interesting than like these immortal, untouchable O5s, and two, it makes things like anti-memes and other SCPs more dangerous, because let's be honest, with the existence of like SCP-2000 and, and lots of other things they can control, there's not really much that can be an actual threat outside certain canons or events, but like humanizing them makes things like anti-memes more dangerous and more cool and more mysterious. Than just like, oh, we can fucking contain it in our super Guinevereum box and not worry about it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give this one a 10 out of 10, and I'm going to give it enough nice, vote. Nice. So yeah, it's time for the second tale in today's roster, which we can actually find at the bottom of the page. If we click on next, it's introductory roster. Nice. We're on a roll. Is this another Marion Wheeler? Is she like our main character? Of this sort of series, yeah. Why don't you Hell I'll yeah. put this back to you for a bit? No, because my head hurts. You do oh, it okay. first. Okay. 
Junior researcher Kim's been working for the Foundation for all of four hours and he feels pulverised, as if an anvil were dropped on his head in that first introductory lecture. It's lunchtime and he's found a corner so far back in the cafeteria that nobody bothers him, where he can chew and swallow non-anonymous food, drink apocalyptically strong coffee, and digest the hard lessons of the morning. On his Foundation-provided phone, he pages fretfully through the few SCP files for which he has clearance. Most of them have to be jokes. That's how they read, like very bad, dark, frightening jokes. Kim's one of 11 junior researchers in the new intake, and the other 10 are sitting in a separate group at a separate table, chatting animatedly to one another. There are some structures here and there, munching sandwiches. Other than them, the cafeteria, large enough to seat 200 people or more, is deserted. To Kim, that seems odd. Site-41 is large, three skulking buildings of significant basement space, buried casually in the forests of central Colorado. Where is everybody? A man in a grey suit walks into the cafeteria, makes eye contact with Kim and strides purposefully over. The man's suit is sharp enough to cut. He wears a tie pin and a platinum wristwatch as big as a brick. He looks badly misplaced. Site-41 is a working site. There's training, education, research, development, analysis, and even the containment of a very few safe SCPs going on here. Executives shouldn't ever be here. So what is he, a lost exec trying to find the helipad? Or a researcher or instructor dressing for the job he wants, not the job he has? Hell of a first day, the man says, holding a hand out. Alistair Gray, with an E. Uh, Kim, says Kim. Paul Kim. Oh, well, Kim, says Kim. Paul Kim. Good to meet you. What accent is that, if you don't mind me asking? Kim blinks. Uh, New York, he says. I'm, I'm from New York. Are you the site director? You seem on edge. Well, <laughs> figures, doesn't it? Kim asks. You must know how that intro goes. It's like an atom bomb to the ego. I, I just had almost everything I know over turn. That's how I spent my uh, entire adult life being protected from dangerous knowledge. As if the whole outside world is a uh, is a ball pit for under sevens. Stepping out, that's been uh, humiliating to start with. And uh, he blinks again. Hey, what do you do here exactly? You didn't answer my question. You didn't answer mine, Gray says. Of course I did, Kim says. I'm from... And then he just stops, his train of thought running off the end of the track into Ur. It's on the tip of his tongue, the answer to Gray's question, but he can't get the words out. Oh no! No! Gray's an anti-meme run! <laughs> That's weird, he says. Get out! At this point, he also knows that Gray isn't wearing his badge. This could be an honest mistake, albeit an extremely serious one, but surely execs don't get to the executive level without being scrupulously correct in everything they do. Who are you? Kim asks again. Your life story was fascinating. What? You spoke four languages, Gray tells him. One now and soon zero. Too huge an intellect to specialize, your education was a fusion of biochemistry and comparative literature. You felt as if you'd die if you couldn't find more foreign thoughts to cram into your head. You've been all over the world, hungry, and every country you've ever been to was like landing on other planets. You toy with anthropology, but there's too much world for one human race to ever understand, let alone one human. There's too much human race, we should par it down. <laughs> Would you excuse me for just one second? He gets up and hurries to another table, to the instructor whom he's met earlier that day. When Kim gets closer, he feels a kind of staticky sensation building up. He tries to shake her shoulder and succeeds in moving it a little, but it's like move reaching through tar. Hey, there's a problem. Uh, there's an intruder. I think it might be SCP. Uh, Doc, look at me. Hello? She doesn't react. Oh, no. He tries to gaggle the phone. Get out of there. Well, but the I'm just waiting for fucking... Th- there'd be like, 
Oh, fucking, all of a sudden a bullet hole appears in his head and there's, like, smoke coming from behind Kim over his shoulder with Marion with her pistol. She's like, so, it's been tough, hasn't it, Kim? <laughs> but they keep chattering and hypothesizing, oblivious to him shouting and clapping in their ears. Uh, hey, people, uh, listen to me. Oh, no, 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 no. He looks back. Gray has stood up and started moving towards him, still with that confident smile. And there's definitely something wrong with him now because he's visible through the tables, like an augmented reality hollow projection jammed inside Kim's eyeball. Kim realizes with a stab of fear that he can even see Grey when he blinks. His eyelids close, but Grey is still there. An apparition and for what, all, no. of all, what for all of Kim's life has been totally personal, private darkness. The only way. Oh my God! Blink... It's Killer Queen. It's in his fucking eyeball. No. <laughs> Get out, Kim! <laughs> the only way he can avoid seeing Grey is to turn away, and even then he feels a radioactive prickling in the back of his eyeballs. Kim tries to phone one of the newbies. The phone in the newbie's bucket rings, and other than that, nothing happens. Nobody reacts. Th- that doesn't make sense, Kim says. Do you remember your father? Grey says. I never knew my father, Kim says, edging away. Mum raised me. Grey's white smile is a fixture. These people loved your perspective. They were going to put you to work on anomalous anti-memes, but they don't remember you exist. You don't exist. Kim says, mainly to himself, There aren't any dangerous SCPs on this site, it's a safe site. So either you're not dangerous, or nobody knows you exist. And if nobody knows you exist, then that means you're brand new, or you're... What's an anti-meme? Hell of a first day, Gray says. Are you sentient? <laughs> Why is he such a dick about it? Are you sentient? Kim asks. You seem on edge, Gray says. Popcorn. Kim bolts. He exits the cafeteria, turns a corner, and runs 10 or 11 paces down the corridor to where there's an elevator. He stabs the down button and waits. The elevator door is highly polished, reflective. Kim catches sight of a face in the mirrored surface and nearly falls over with shock because it's a face he's never seen before, and apparently, it's his own. Jesus! Oh, no, no, no! He babbles. What the hell? What the hell? Gray comes around the corner, still only strolling. Just as the elevator cracks open, Kim dives in and punches the lowest floor, basement level 8. It's instinctive, although he could rationalize the decision in retrospect. He can't just get in his car and drive. It's better if Gray stays on site than if he's set loose in a rational reality. And to do that, it's better if Kim retreats to the lowest, darkest corner of the site for which he has access, and then waits for Gray, and then locks all the doors behind them and waits to die. The elevator starts descending, and the apparition of Gray, visible through doors and floors, disappears upwards, shrinking with distance and perspective, but still smiling broadly down at Kim. That's so creepy. Kim paces in the elevator. I don't remember what my face looks like. It's said it had eaten all of my secondary <laughs> languages, but I don't remember learning anything other than English, so it's eating my memories. It's consuming information, and I, and I can't contact anybody directly, directly, which means I'm on my own. I'm not trained for this. He hammers his head once against the elevator wall and stares at his shoes. But I don't know that. What if I'd been trained, but I don't remember my training anymore? What if I've been working here for years and I only think this is my first day? What if I've met this thing before? What if everyone on the site has met it multiple times and nobody remembers? Is this what an anti-meme is? Kim remembers the near-empty cafeteria and miles of totally unoccupied corridors and vacant office and lab space. It's not just eating my memories. Maybe it eats people whole, removes them completely from history. Maybe it's been haunting the site for years, and that's why the site's so empty, because it's nearly finished exterminating us all. I need to get help. I need to warn somebody. How? I can't talk to people. I can't phone them. I should I should write an SCP. Surely someone's already thought of that. He pulls his phone out. He pulls out the listing. Nearly 10,000 SCP entries. A hundred of them are tagged anti-memetics alone. Kim clears his mind. Gray. With an E. G-R-E-Y. 4739. Object class? Ketter. 
Special containment procedures. I'm disregarding the format because time is a factor. If you're reading this, you've already been isolated from the Foundation at large. Attempts to signal for help are futile. You are now inside 4739's Golit after ingestion and prior to digestion. You need to get to lab SO41-BO8-053 as soon as possible and continue the research until you find a way to stop or kill Gray before it kills you. Don't read the rest until you're in the elevator. Description blank. At that moment, the elevator doors open at basement level 8. Alistair Gray is waiting, still smiling, disarmingly. He steps forward. Desperate, Kim hurls his phone over arm at the creature's forehead. It's a solid chunk of metal, and it's a dead hit. Gray reels backwards and cracks his skull against the wall. By the time he recovers, Kim is out of sight, herring away down the left corridor, just echoing fading footsteps on concrete. Two 45-degree turns, and room 53 is in sight! The door at the farthest end! It looks like a submarine bulkhead! Kim spots the keypad from way out. Four digits, he tries 4739, and it works! First time! The bulkhead mechanism takes agonizing seconds to open up. Come on, come on, come on! Do you remember your mother? He hears Gray calling down the corridor. I never knew my parents! I was an orphan! Kim hisses under his breath for a split second. He wonders what Gray might really mean by that, but he doesn't have time to dwell on it. The bulkhead opens. Kim slides in and pulls it closed behind him, locking the mechanism up again, as if that'll buy him even one second. The lab is in- inside is sizable, windowless, of course, and stacked to the ceiling with a jumble of equipment which Kim hardly recognizes. <laughs> there are pieces of thick, shattered glass underfoot. In the corner, there's a computer terminal, locked. Kim unlocks it, and there's the same entry waiting for him. I'll leave it to you. Description. SCP-4739 is a powerful, slow-acting, antimimetic kill agent taking the appearance of a male Caucasian business executive calling itself Alistair Gray. The SCP is attracted to dense clusters of organically stored information. Essentially, extremely knowledgeable, complicated, interesting people. <laughs> oh no, it's a protagonist hunter! <laughs> the SCP isolates its victim from the outside world by enveloping them in an antimimetic field which makes it impossible for the victim, or anything done by the victim, to be perceived or remembered. The SCP then consumes the victim's memories and knowledge until they become vegetative and die. This process takes between 15 minutes and 2 hours, and is described as being like Alzheimer's disease in Fast Forward. The SCP is not believed to be sentient, although it imitates the behaviour of a sentient being to the extent that it can appear sentient to the intensive. Its victims are able to move and act freely, since it is impossible to escape once caught, or to signal for help. Communications such as written notes, graffiti, and electronic mail do get sent, and persist in reality, but the SCP's effect spreads of each message, making it impossible for an external observer to perceive the message until such time as the SCP catches them too. So, if I'm understanding, he's eaten them, and this whole world he's in is inside the stomach, which is why this description exists. Well, no, it, it just means that like no one can perceive you, not in a different world. Right, but the fact that this message hasn't disappeared, and, yeah, right, and yeah, the effect yeah, yeah. hasn't spread. You're in the field, yeah. Yeah. The SCP entry which you are currently reading is created and maintained by victims of the SCP because it is only visible to victims of the SCP. If you are reading this SCP entry, it has caught you. You are now isolated from the Foundation at large and constitute an effective Foundation of one. You have between 15 minutes and 2 hours to reach Site 41, Basement Level 8, Laboratory 53, familiarise yourself with the existing research, and continue this research until you find a way to contain or decommission... I think the the, the most scary part of this is not only do you need to continue the research, right? But Mm. you need to, um... You like, make it concise as possible, because the longer you make it, the more time it takes to take in. And especially if you're someone on the 15-minute end of the spectrum, you won't be able to make any progress. Yeah. Or more likely, it's kind of a this yeah. is a real this is a really interesting SCP that exists inside of a tail, which is yeah. so cool. If your field of expertise is not related to antimedic containment, we sincerely apologize and advise you to start learning fast. The SCP is con- has consumed uh, 
5, 10, 15, 20, 25. And this can really only work in a tale setting because an article, you can't really have a first-person perspective or the perspective of a character. It wouldn't work with addendums. 74 foundation researchers since we started counting on August 3rd, 2015. If you're reading this entry for the first time, please add a mark. We estimate at least 50% of victims never make it as far as this database entry, so the true victim count is more than twice this figure. Uh, Popcorn. But how do I kill it? Kim screams. He scrolls and scrolls through the research, which is chaotic and haphazardly arranged because nobody's found the spare seconds to sort it out. There are dozens of separate lines of research, contributed in patchwork by a succession of victims, all ending with variations on the same final line. I'm going to try X. If you're reading this, X didn't work and I'm dead, which means approach X is a dead end and you have to think of something else. He reads, Nobody has succeeded in physically engaging with Grey. Nobody can stall it, evade it, slow it down, reason with it, or redirect it to some other target. People have tried poisoning their memories with indigestible ideas, drip-feeding their memories to Grey to slow them down, replacing their memories faster than Grey can eat them, and force-feeding Grey too many memories at once to overfeed him and blow him up. They've tried committing suicide by Class A amnestic overdose. None of it worked. More than 100 people, most of them apparently possessing doctorates, have slid into the maw of this thing, fought briefly, and, with a greater or lesser degree of dignity, died. There are no remaining untried threads. I'm fucked! Kim concludes. He glances up. Gray's not in the room yet, but Kim can see him strolling down the last stretch of corridor. He's a totally intangible being. Physical obstructions are irrelevant to him. He can't be hurt. Kim clutches the pocket where he used to keep his phone. Wait a second. He scrolls again. He finds the three or four sad, desperate wretches who died confronting Gray physically. Combat knife and Glock. Baseball bat. Kim looks up and checks the room. Sure enough, the bat's there rolled under a table. One man, an elderly botanist far out of his death, said he was just going to try whatever he could find that was heaviest. That explains the shattered CRT television and the light layer of thick glass on the floor near the bulkhead. So these things don't actually exist in, in the normal foundation where you haven't been eaten on the site, right? Well, it's just... Well, it's the same world. It's just like, it's not an actual physical being, apparently. It's like an idea. But like, right, but has someone who's not been targeted yet, could they go down to the basement and find all this shit? Well, you would, it would be there, but you wouldn't be able to perceive it. Right, that's what I'm, yeah. Yeah. There's even CCTV footage of the botanist's attempt. He accomplishes literally nothing. Gray is a holographic ghost, and the CRT drops right through him, imploding when it hits the floor at Gray's feet. The botanist spends the rest of the video's running time huddled in a corner, gradually losing his mind while Gray watches placidly. Why are you wasting time watching the whole CCTV footage? You probably fast The difference being, <laughs> Kim realizes with his eyes boggling, a phone is a solid brick full of information. And before me, nobody tried using information as a missile. Kim searches for the experiments, several of them scattered, where the victim tried to divert Gray to a different data source. The general idea seemed to be to overload Gray by pointing him at something containing too much information. The internet, or the terabit feed from a live particle accelerator experiment, or a stack of hard drives containing the first quadrillion binary digits of pi. But nobody could figure out a way to distract Gray's attention. Prominently placed screens full of data he would ignore. Data beamed at him electromagnetically, radio laser had no effect. And nobody could figure out a way to tunnel the information in through the victim's mind as extra memories. It was written off as impossible, closed as a line of investigation. The hard drives, Kim finds, are right there on the workbench next to the computer. It's a half-rack unit, a cuboidal block of metalwork as big and heavy as a bowling ball, one of the most ineffective conceivable melee weapons. Kim snatches up three, the three longest pieces of Ethernet cable he can find and starts plating them into a chain. Then he remembers who he is and where he is and what his responsibilities are. He goes to the computer, to the SCP entry, adds himself to the victim tally, and writes up exactly what it is he's about to try. Because he might not be the last one, and the world needs to know that this didn't work. Gray comes through the lab bulkhead to find most of the equipment in the room toppled onto the floor to create room for the black and silver drivery that Paul Kim is whirling around his head on a two-meter <laughs> chain made of plated network cable. 
It makes a low thrumming sound as it whirls. Gray is not intelligent enough to stop moving forwards. That's right, because he's not sentient. And catches the, the array directly in the side of the head. Rack mount point first like a morning star. Gray absorbs a few trillion digits of the impact, but it isn't enough. There's a green snap of light and a noise like a subway train short-circuiting, and Gray's a pile in the corner. His head caved in and the drive array partially demolished in pieces around him. Kim decides that history can fill in whatever quip it likes best. It was chewing its way up the... It was chewing its way up the anti-memetics division hierarchy, Wheeler tells him in the aftermath. It was only a matter of time until it bit down on something dangerous. Congratulations on demonstrating a basic level of competence when it counted. Dozens of others couldn't. Kim still... Did he get all his knowledge back? Well, we'll find out. Kim still feels rattled, but the shock is dissipating, faster than he'd expected. Marion Wheeler, it turns out, is the anti-memetics division chief. She's Kim's new boss. Another cool thing about anti-memetics is because they really can't be contained and are so dangerous, they often need to be exterminated rather than contained, it seems. Hmm. Which is so cool to me, because that, that's a lot more fun. Like, that desperate battle with Kim, yeah. that was really fun. That's a cool, uh, like, way of doing it as well. Like, cause it, it gets hinted before he throws the phone at it and it does something. Yeah, that was smart. Especially because I don't feel like most people would throw their phone even in a life or death situation because it's really expensive and you use it all the time. Which <laughs> proves Kim is not your average guy. <laughs> I want to say it was dumb luck, Kim says. I want to say that I just threw my phone. It was instinct. It was muscle memory. It was my first day and I got lucky as hell. I want to say those things, but I'm sitting here and turning those statements over and over and none of them would be true, would they? Wheeler waits expectantly and says nothing. You're not my new boss, Kim says. You're just my boss. This isn't my first day at all. I've been working here for, well, it must be over a decade, right? I think I've been a professional anti-memetics researcher since at least the mid-2000s. It's just that the first thing Gray ate was my memories of everything past the first day, and even then, I see very little luck in what happened today, Wheeler says. Instinct and muscle memory are just deep forms of training. Like I said, a basic level of competence. An ability to piece your own life and all of your past knowledge back together, faster than nearly anybody else. This is what we try to drill into you. Sometimes, thankfully, it takes. This isn't even the first time we've had this conversation, Kim continues. There have been other incidents, with other SCPs with amnestic powers. You've sat there and watched me put myself back together before, and it hasn't gotten old yet, Wheeler admits, with something which might be approaching a smirk. How long does it usually take for me to recover? A few months, Wheeler says. But if you want the honest truth, people in this division are as competent on day one as they'll ever be. You come to the job firing on all cylinders, or not at all. The rest is just fine-tuning and chemistry. So what you're saying, what you're actually saying is you don't care about my mental state and you need me back at work now, Kim says. Wheeler nods. I need an updated SCP entry, just to begin with. I need you to nail down the model for Gray's predatory pattern and exactly how you defeated it. I want you to work out what it did with the bodies, incinerated, disintegrated, or just left them lying around the site in rotting, perceptually cloaked heaps. And I need countermeasures for when it comes back. It's not dead? Wait, Kim says. I think I know this one. It's coming back to me. Ideas don't die. Oh, that's even funny cooler. <laughs> so now he can create the, the file. So Marion knew this SCP existed, right? Well, she knows now. Presumably Is the implication. Like, <laughs> uh, but now they have a, now newbies won't fall prey to Grey anymore. They just simply have to swing a hard drive at him. Imagine you only have 15 minutes and you can't finish the fucking hard drive. Imagine, like, the time. sinister man comes over here and just grab your phone and, like, bludgeon him to death. <laughs> uh, imagine how crazy that's going to get as we get even better technology. Eventually, you'll probably be able to just use your phone. That's, I'm going to cut your phone. Ideas don't die. 
This is such a creative fucking tale series. This was by Quantum 2, right? Yeah, the whole series is. Well, there's like some some series that come in later, but... I'm going to give this one an 11 out of 10. Honestly, I feel like I maybe should rate this one and the last one a little bit higher, but just... I think because they're so short. They're really great pieces of narrative prose and really interesting. Uh, I like this a lot. Yeah, Quentin's a very Um, good writer. Yeah. Everyone, if you're watching, go check out Quantum's author page. If they've got any way to support them, you should do so. I mean, that goes for pretty much all the authors we read, but I just wanted to particularly state that. Because this is excellent, and I can't believe I don't recall his name before this moment. Have we not read his stuff before now? We have 55 with Quantum as well. Oh. Oh, wow, so they've been around a hot minute, because these were yeah. made in 2015, and 055 is, like, old as fuck. Do they still write? Um... Yeah, they've, 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 they've been writing recently. I think they just recently finished this series. Finished the what? This series. Because it's oh, quite nice. a few different bits. And... <laughs> Alright. And is the next one Unforgettable, That's What You Are? Yeah. Oh, so we're just straight up going in order. That's kind of cool. Are we going to do, like, anti-memetics for a while? Uh, depends on what people like. I like. I really love this series, so we could. <laughs> And you know what, Tan, now that we've been talking about anti-memetics, I think I realize, I don't think Michael's dead. <laughs> it's like so. I look back over in the desert at the dry, cracked ground. There's no body there. Oh my god. What do you think, Clay? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just hope we all remain friends forever. <laughs> Okay, cool. Oh my god, do you think... Is King, is King J our version of Clay? <laughs> he came in. Mysterious author nobody knows. <laughs> oh, the perfect setup. Okay, well, we're ready for the next story. <clears throat> okay. My head's starting to really hurt, though. Can you read this one yeah, at least sure. for a bit? Oh, this is a really long one, too. I'll do it. I don't know I'll if do I have enough head energy for it. Don't worry, I will read. It's finished. Lynn Marnus is more than 90 years old and hasn't stood at his full height in 10. He was a tower of a man in his prime, two metres tall and built like a boxer. Nearly nobody he ever met was able to look him straight in the eye, at least not often tell him no. Illness has gradually eaten away at that over the years. He feels as if he lives at the bottom of a deep bath, everyone he ever met looking down at him from slippery, unscalable walls, none of them able to reach down to help him. He'd spent his final months crumbled up in bed like a dying spider, changing to a corpse's colour ahead of time. It might have been bearable if he'd lost his mind, but he remembers what he used to be. A leader, a powerhouse. He used to be able to the course of terrible events for the better to get justice. He used to protect people. Hell, you can wake up now. But there's a warm wind through his thin, colourless hair and his direct sunlight coming down on him now, and the heat is filling him up like a tonic. He's outside. It's been too long since he was last outside. When he opens his eyes, he sees his lake, the one in the northwest which he used to have all to himself every summer. He's on a boat, his boat, lying on a blanket laid on a deck. A few kilometres away behind him is the little lake house, empty. It's perfect. He didn't know if he had the strength to leave, left to safely leave the hospital, let alone travel this far. But if he'd put his pine to it and slept at the final moments, this might have been it. Do you remember? Wait, me? I think I got confused. Marion is not the same person as Marie Wheeler, right? Who's Marie Wheeler? There was a tag that I thought said Marie Wheeler on something. Marion Wheeler is no Marie Wheeler. But the, it's Marion Wheeler? Yeah, that's her name. Okay. No. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> okay. 
Do you remember me? Sorry, Manus... I got confused. I told you, my brain's all fucked up today. I don't know what's going on. Manus looks with eyes which are strengthening. The woman speaking is seated on the deck beside him, attentive. She has a large plastic box full of medical supplies open in front of her, and a light suit jacket laid on the deck beside it. And she has her sleeves rolled up so she can work. As he watches, she carefully disposes of a needle. The dim memory surfaces and starts taking shape. The woman is twice as old now as when he knew her last, and visibly twice as confident. It would be difficult to forget her. He taught her everything he... well, everything he could remember at the time. He remembers her as a field agent. He remembers sending her through hell a fistful of times. Marion. Hell, the woman softly explains. You died. You died surrounded by grieving family. They loved you very much, and they cried over you. The funeral for the fake is in a few days, but unfortunately you won't be able to see it yourself. You're dead now, and this is what comes next. Marion Hutchinson. Marnus is he feels... becoming an anti-meme? Because he died? We'll see. Marnus feels gold spreading through his bones. Miracle juice. It's Wheeler now, but what? he doesn't correct him. Miracle juice? <laughs> well, maybe not literal, but... <laughs> When you retired from the Foundation, L, we did what we do with all of us who retire. What all of us agree to when we sign up. We gave you some medicine which made you forget. As you stepped out the door for the last time, all the work you did for us, great, great work which saved lives, evaporated away, and your cover story sealed over those years and became reality. That's why you spent your whole retirement believing that you were a former section chief at the FBI. It's what you wanted, it's what we wanted, it's what you agreed to. But you alone agreed to something else as well. And you must be starting to remember now what that something was. I've injected you with a serum which froze the human aging process into hard reverse. And it affects everything. Organs, tissues, memories. You'll be coming up on it soon, remember? Yes, Marnus croaks, remembering, dizzy. You signed over your final twelve hours to us. You asked for a full and happy and well-deserving retirement. But now, for the last day, you work for us again, because of one particular job. I have it in writing here, you see. Do you recognize your signature and mine? I witnessed. Ooh. Yes. Do you remember who you are? Dr. Lynn Patrick Marnish of the Foundation, he says. Anti-Memetics Division founder. Wheeler smiles with relief. It's good to see him again. We need some memories from you, she explains. Memories which nobody else in the world has access to, and which are buried so deeply that we can't extract them without killing you. So, this afternoon, that's what we're going to do. We're going to extract those memories, and once we're done, you'll be dead. Marnus has already begun to regress to the time when he himself set this wheel in motion. He remembers very clearly discovering the mystery in his own head, the blank spot which he couldn't explain, and couldn't safely access with any kind of chemical or physical technique. He remembers deferring the mystery until now. What happened in 1976, Wheeler asks. Here, let me take over, because you keep crackling, but I didn't want to interrupt you again, because I could tell it was bothering you. <clears throat> Marnus sits up. His skin is beginning to clear, and his breathing is improving. He feels as if his brain is cleaved in two by a wormhole, such that his eyes are focusing on different time periods. In his right eye, he sees the lake and the boat he's dying on. In his left, he sees a collage of electrifyingly familiar past faces and places. Bart Hughes, with his grin and thick glasses and baby face, looking like some kid dressed up as a Foundation researcher. The original Site 48 crew, great text, but a hopeless excuse for a softball team. Young Marion, with steel-strong nerves and a mind like a laser. Suits and lab coats and MTF operatives, and everywhere paperwork and floods of serial numbers. He starts to speak. 
1976 was the year he founded The Division. He brainstormed the whole thing in one legendary week, hammering out the science and then distilling the first chemical nestic with the help of a hand-picked trio of assistants, the first anti-memetics researchers. No anti-memetic SCPs had ever been observed up to that point. The entire operation was a shot in the dark, and yet the team immediately struck gold. Passive black holes of information, active predatory infovores, unrememberable worms which covered the human skin like dust mites, contagious bad news, self-sealing secrets, living murders, Chinatowns. Wheeler wonders if there might be something more serious awry with Marnus's head. His version of events is hopelessly romantic, and Wheeler's experience, nobody looks back on Foundation work fondly. But it was all too fast, Marnus says. Special containment procedures take time to develop, much more time than I took. The Foundation as a whole acquires about a dozen new SCPs annually. I found that many in one year, essentially single-handedly. It was too easy. It was as if I knew it all already and was just catching up. And then, one day, I realized I couldn't remember my life before anti-memetics. I knew I'd been a Foundation operative for decades prior. That was where I got the authority to start my own division. But there was nothing else there. It was a wall in my mind, which even Nestics couldn't get me past. I went to the paper archives and looked at my own personal file, personnel file, and Marnus trails off. Not because he's forgotten what to say next. It's deliberate. The trailing off is exactly what happened. You woke up back at your desk half a working day later, remembering nothing, Wheeler says. You went through the loop a dozen times before someone realized what was happening and broke you out of it. Wheeler knows all of this. The file still exists, and the anti-memetic effect still clouds the back half of it. All of this would be over in a second if any of that back half could be read. Marnus goes on. I assembled the evidence. What I found was, well, a hole, like a jigsaw, with only the edges and corners. So I did the only thing I could do. I looked at the shape of the hole, and together with Bart Hughes and others, I formed a theory. This is not the first anti-memetics division. Before 1976, there was another one. I was part of that division, possibly. I led it. Certainly, I'm the only known survivor of it. Something happened to that team. Some anti-memetic force chewed up and swallowed the idea of the anti-memetics division itself. I was let off lightly. I lived. The rest of those people, whoever they were, however many of them there were, are missing without trace. Wheeler nods. This much we know already. I was there when you wrote the note, remember? The question is known. It's the answer that we can't get to without killing you. It's the answer that we've waited all these years to get at. I'm here to ask you, what happened? Marnus covers his right eye and grimaces, trying. He fails. It's not there. You haven't sent me back far enough, and there's still that wall there in my head. I remember why the question exists, but I don't remember the answer. I need more. Wheeler swabs his arm and gives him another ten years. Um, let me read this footnote. The Class X Nestic drug is a failed eternal youth serum. X rejuvenates both mind and body up to blank years, but its effects are temporary, wearing off in a matter of hours. Furthermore, as the drug wears off, the suppressed time reasserts itself all at once, causing a harmful whiplash effect on the subject's physiology. Oof. X can rejuvenate an individual safely by up to 30 days, but with stronger doses, the whiplash effect becomes dangerous, and past a threshold of 16 to 18 months, it is fatal in all known subjects. X's restorative effect on the human memory is essentially a side effect of all of this. However, this side effect is so useful that it has become the drug's main practical purpose. The anti-memetics division uses small doses of X to temporarily sharpen and restore memories from the recent past. The AIDS Foundation operatives in the accurate recall of incidents, including memory corruptive entities. I wish they had this with Lily Veselka. <laughs> 
Like that would have been super helpful and trivialized that SCP. Well, it wasn't really, also really much, cool. It just could change your entire memory. Yeah, but this makes you go back and have the memories you had back in the past. But she could just get messed with those. Maybe. I don't know. Still, that's such a cool idea. Mm. Uh, and it's sad that he's basically doomed to die. And I do like that they were humane enough to wait until he was already about to die in real life before they put him through this. You know, it wasn't like they made him sacrifice himself. Yeah. Marnus seems like another man once the second X-Dose takes effect. Wrinkles are sliding back up into his face. Muscle mass is returning to his limbs. But it takes Wheeler a second to realize the real reason why. She's just booting him ba- booted him back across the field slash desk agent transition. Marnus has regressed a little way past senior man... Sorry, senior management. The realm where most problems were solved by saying the correct words. And into a time where he's survived through physical fitness, situational alertness, and hands-on experience. Marnus gets to his feet for the first time in years. He scans his surroundings, examining the placid golden lake and the sky and the boat itself. He doesn't sit down again. He smooths down his hospital gown, wishing he had a sweater and, separately, some fishing gear. He brushes a hand through new old hair. His sideburns are back. I imagine he has a younger-sounding voice now. We weren't Foundation at first, he says. The first anti-memetics division was a U.S. Army project. It ran parallel with Manhattan during World War II. We called ourselves the Unthinkables. (laughs) It began as an experiment in advanced propaganda. The objective was to cut through the physical conflict and find a way to rupture the ideological machine to obliterate the idea of Nazism. After two years, enough theory had been developed that the task had been reduced to an engineering problem. Another two years, and the engineering problem had been reduced as well, and what we had built was a very special kind of bomb. Unfortunately, we didn't understand what we'd built. Back then, we didn't have the nestics or the shielding that we could use to protect ourselves. We didn't understand how far ahead you need to think when you're working with this kind of technology. We got looped. It was textbook. We built the unthinkable bomb and test detonated it, and it worked perfectly. The bomb destroyed itself, erased its own successful detonation, and flattened all the knowledge which had gone together to build it. We forgot that we had ever built the bomb at all, and started over. To our credit, we realized pretty quickly what must have happened. There was a four-year gap in our progress now, and there was no other way to explain it. But by the time we put the pieces together the second time, the war was almost over. The Nazis had been defeated by conventional means, and the Japanese had been broken by the first atomic bombings. So we completed the second anti-memetic bomb, and after that, we sat on it. Marion Wheeler is silent for a long moment. The U.S. Army, she says doubtfully, was secretly developing anti-memetic weaponry as early as the 1940s. We sure were, Marnus says, with more than a hint of pride. Of course, there's no one in the whole world who could back this up. That's right, Marnus says. Oh, wait. Sorry. Of course, there's no one in the whole world who could back this up. That's right, Marnus says, flashing a smile he hasn't flashed in decades. You only have my word for it. Cute, huh? Still, this is why you resurrected me, isn't it? For the sake of one more good war story. God, I've missed shop talk. I resurrected you because I want a very specific question answered, Wheeler says, although I can see that in a way you've already answered it. This bomb was the means, wasn't it? The old anti-memetics division, the unthinkables, bombed themselves, somehow. That's right, Marnus says. From context, Wheeler goes on, I assume that they knew what they were doing that time. I assume it was not an accident. It was not, Marnus says. The displaced half of Marnus's brain is anchored in the 70s now, so the true history of the new original Unthinkables is an open book to him. And he reads. After the war, the second bomb collected dust for years, 
We began sketching improved designs for a third bomb, but around that time, oversight was starting to flicker out. We completed our research and production objectives and were given no further objectives. Funding became shaky, and we couldn't figure out why. It wasn't entirely clear that the project overseers knew what we were doing, or even that they remembered we existed. It was a side effect from the research, of course, one we had no way of managing at the time. In 1951, a cult movement began in Ojai, California. It was wrong. Everything about it was just wrong. In a matter of days, it was a national phenomenon and still growing. It was all over the news. To spread that far in months would have been credible, but days was simply impossible. Oh, did he use this shit on, like, the fifthists? Yo! We and the team could see that the philosophy behind the cult was unnaturally contagious. It was the opposite of thinkable. Unthinkable. It was unforgettable. We knew that this was what our bomb was designed for. We prompted the overseers for direction, but there were no orders. At the time that the outbreak began, we were a U.S. Army laboratory, through and through. Eight days into the crisis, the Foundation acquired us, all the classified research, all the material resources, and all the compliant top staff, including me. Anybody who wouldn't comply was mind-wiped and sent back to the Army. Twenty hours after the acquisition, we deployed the second bomb and the cult was gone. Nobody remembered it. Nobody. And there's a link to an SCP here that I think we've read before. Exactly. That's how they took care of it. That must have been what well, was redacted. Well, let me, let me, that was in 1951, so maybe it's, it was a precursor to the oh. incident we saw. Wait, what? Well, this happened in 1951, so Simon Cowell, who was mentioned in Starticles, was not around in 1951. Right, so this was maybe a previous time the fifth yeah. came up. Zero loss of life. And, but the second time they came up, they remembered it in the document this time. Mm. A completely clean thing. detonation. Yeah, so they didn't do the same thing the second time around. That's talked about in the actual article, I assume. After that is when everything really kicked off. Once we started working for the Foundation, the pace of research ramped up. (laughs) Excuse me. Every new technological advancement uncovered new hidden SCPs. I passed the Foundation field exams and went out catching ghosts. My life turned into the Twilight Zone. I... Marnus blinks hard. He covers one of his eyes, then the other. I remember all these different people now, he says. It feels like my memory's in stereo. Almost every anti-memetic SCP we caught before the wipe in 76, we caught again soon after the wipe. That means I remember two acquisition logs for each one. I remember two anti-memetics teams, and I don't remember who belongs on which side of the wall. Do you remember Goldie Arrow, the neurologist? Studied the mechanism of anomalously accelerated memory loss. Wrote a library on the subject. Wheeler doesn't. Dr. Ojibiru? Julie Still? L, this is important. Are you at the right place in your own timeline to remember what happened yet? Marnus focuses, and he discovers that he is. Something changes in his eyes as he stops reminiscing. He speaks more slowly now, the voice dropping almost to a whisper. There is an SCP which your division has never seen. The SCP which my division can contain. The escapee. This is what you wanted, isn't it, Marion? Yes, she says. This is the data I'm killing you for. He leaves a gap where, if she felt there was anything to apologize for, she would apologize. Marnus locks eyes with her. It was eating my division alive. Came at us so hard and so fast that the only way we could stop it was to self-destruct. But we had no sight, Nukin. In retrospect, it's obvious to me now that this was because the SCP had consumed our sight nuke first of all. If you know it exists, it knows you exist. The more you know about it the more it knows about you. If you can see it, it can see you. And you can see it. You've been looking right at it all afternoon. Wheeler is suddenly acutely aware of her surroundings. There are only two of them on the boat. 
The boat is anchored more than a kilometer from any of the lake's shores. She hasn't brought any backup with her. There's a radioactive prickling in her brain. She doesn't... Red flag. Why didn't I bring any backup with me? That doesn't make sense. There should be a team at the lake house. There should be an MTF operative and a medic here on the boat with me. And a second boat, at minimum. Am I all alone out here? Why did I do that? She pulls her gun, but doesn't aim it at Marnus yet. Where is it? Is it in you? Marnus's voice is becoming urgent. He covers both of his eyes again. Destroying all knowledge of it was the only way to destroy it. And restoring my memories was a foolproof way to bring it back. It's in his eyes, most likely his left eye. Wheeler backs up the other side of the boat, draws a bead on the center of Marnus's head and says, El, are you still in there? There's a way to fix this. Marnus hisses, dropping to his knees. He keeps his eyes screwed up and gropes his way forward blindly on his hands and knees. El, you need to tell me what this thing is. That's the opposite of what we need to do, Marnus says. You need to set another bomb off. We don't have that bomb. We lost the technology, Wheeler begins. You've always had it. There's an engineering lab in Site 41. You know it. An underground complex the size of a football field. In pristine condition and totally disused. Why? Think about it. That's where your bomb's installed. But that just sets us back to square one. If I set the bomb off, Wheeler says, knowing full well that she's thousands of kilometers from it and can't hope to reach it in time anyway. How do we contain this thing? We won't, Marnus shouts. We can't ever. Don't you get it? The whole division is looped. We start the division. We run headlong into this thing and I it eats us, or we wipe ourselves out in self-preservation. The idea of anti-memes is as old as forgetfulness itself. Humans have been looping through this problem over and over again since long before the 40s, maybe for centuries. His blindly probing fingers find the medical box. It's too late. As Wheeler watches, a waving black pedipalp, coated in dark hairs, forces its way out through Marnus's left eye. Marnus screams, still on his knees, he grasps the pedipalp with both hands and tries to break it, but it's solid, as if it has bones inside. What is it? Wheeler shouts at him. That can't be the whole story. Where is it from? What does it want? Can it reason? Can it speak? Sorry. Help. A second spider leg, significantly longer and spindlier, slides out through Marnus's trachea, ruining his throat and voice box and producing a gout of blood. He gurgles. A third leg shoots up from his abdomen like a spear. Wheeler shoots Marnus in the head. Marnus falls forward. Limp, then rises back up, lifted by the three spider appendages as if he's a puppet con- being controlled by something gigantic and invisible. His arms raise as if suspended by wires. Wheeler squints. She fires four more shots over Marnus's head at the likely body mass of the invisible puppeteer and fires the rest of her clip almost directly into the sky. The whole boat vibrates along with the surface of the lake as if responding to infrasound or a localized earthquake. Then the boat shudders violently and starts to lift out of the water, raised by more unseen appendages. Wheeler holsters her gun and goes for the medical box herself, pulling it away from Marnus's floating feet. There's a compartment with Class B amnestic, the fast-acting stuff, in serum form. She does a hurried burst of mental arithmetic, measures out the correct dosage in a syringe, and handshaking plunges it into a wrist vein. The boat is still rising. Whatever the monster is, it's colossally taller. Maybe it flies. She is, of course, already doped up to the eyeballs with nestic drugs. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been able to perceive any of this. Foundation medical literature warns in the strongest possible terms against putting both kinds of drugs into the same brain. Best case scenario, this ends with her in the hospital. Oh, she's trying to make herself forget it so it disappears because she's the only one left who remembers it. Oh, that's fucked. Also, I guess with his bomb, you can kill ideas. So rip last tail. Oh. <laughs> Rips again, but I'm different. <laughs> They're 30 meters up in the air now. Ten stories. There's a stabbing pain developing in her left eye. She kicks her shoes off and throws the gun away. She goes to the edge and contemplates the drop for a disbelieving second. She jumps. It takes two heart-stopping seconds of freefall for her to hit the water. The chilled hammer blow of the impact is enough to blink her mind out. By the time she surfaces, she doesn't remember where she fell from or why. And likewise, the skyscraper-sized building being which claimed Marnus in the boat has forgotten about her. 
What the hell? She gasps, treading water. What the hell? Where the hell? There's nothing above her. No explanation. Only the symptoms of the drug cocktail give her any indication of what just happened. A sensation like hundreds of tiny lumps of hot solder in her brain and pain and exhaustion spreading to all of her tendons. She wants to die. Swim, says part of her. Get to shore first. Then you can die. Popcorn it to you. The extraction team finds her around dusk, unconscious on the lake shore. They stabilize her in the helicopter, then take her to Site 41 for examination and to have her system flush. She spends a solid eight days at home, detoxifying. No nestics, no amnestics, no exposure to dangerous memory culturing SCPs, no work visitors. No work, the doctor also tells her, pointlessly. It isn't anywhere near the first missing event in Wheeler's life, nor is she the first person in the antimedic division staff to have such an experience, but the sensation is no less disturbing for its familiarity. After procedure, she writes a report summarising everything she could remember. The gap in her memory is about 13 hours. Then she adds her report to the extensive, complex map of missing time which the whole division maintains collectively. It's a map of holes, and the map is becoming large enough that very faint patterns are gradually forming. The outline of an enemy is becoming visible, or perhaps a group of enemies. When she quizzes the extraction team later, none of them remember who activated the emergency beacon which summoned them. In fact, the beacon itself got out long before they landed at the lake. Willa compares the current size of her division with her best estimate of what it should be. Maybe she needs a few more key people here and there. So assuming the division was fully staffed before the event, maybe there was empty roles of the people who died this time around. Maybe one of them activated the beacon. A commendable act by someone now only known to exist because of that single act. It's weeks later still that Wheeler discovers the largest new hole in her memory. Who founded the division? When? Wow. That blew me away. That's a 12 out of 10. I don't even need to sit on it to think. <laughs> that was amazing. That was really, really good. I know. This series is so fucking good. The only reason I don't give it a perfect 13 is a few things slightly contradict the previous tales we've read. Like with the, for example, not being able to kill ideas, but you can with the bomb, or things like well, she gets pulled back really, and people it, it suddenly know back. it. Anti- <laughs> right, so, but only because it was he was reminded of it, or like um, the idea that uh, that people remembered Less... her when they brought her back because no one knows who antimimetics are. But I will say, um, well, the people who brought whole... her back are over antimimetics, though. Oh, okay. Um, it also makes sense though why maybe she was the only one on the boat. Rather than a monster affecting her, maybe they, they had planned that originally for some reason and for this scenario. But um, either way, I really like this kind of group building. And especially, like, we really get to know Marnus and uh, we kind of see his journey. And there's an amazing narrative here. As well. And yeah, and we see Marion too a lot. And I think what's really cool about the anti-memetics is one, it's a series of tales. So he's allowed to, or Quantum's allowed to get a lot more personable with it than your typical article. Uh, mm, and yet still, even for Tails, comes up with great S- SCP ideas. And because the Antimimetics Division is so small, and because these are so personable, it really feels like we get to know and we want to root for these these people, even though they all, um, they've all like had heart, bad shit happen to them and have lost memories and have gotten fucked up. Marion's gotten fucked up multiple times. Kim does. Like, we, we like, get to know them as like a team of like individuals, which is really cool and I think uh, really adds to the overall story and narrative. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> it's just just a really good series. I'm glad we went through this today. And I'm glad, especially, I swear to God, Tan did not did not tell me what we were reading ahead of time. I did not plan this with the, the dead guy in the beginning in the lore, but it worked out really well. <laughs> so, 
Uh, yeah, he's missing now, so we need to figure that out. That's the next arc. We found they get the map, the guy. I found <laughs> this little green hexagonal pill. Should I take it? No, drugs are bad. Oh, you're right. I tossed it into the ocean carelessly. What a useless pill. <laughs> so I went back to look at the comments again. for the last episode, but I mistakenly went to the comments for fake episode I can't hear 47. you. You're cutting out. Oh, no. Oh, you went to the fake episode? Yeah. Here, let me pull them up. I actually picked a couple out. Um. No, wait. It looks like there might be a new one. Uh, okay, here we go. Candy Queens asks, are you going to intentionally fill out the bingo card by the end of Series 4 or just pick whatever SCPs you want to read? I'm very intentionally not filling out the bingo card to fuck with people. <laughs> I want nice. to almost fill it out, <laughs> but not quite. <laughs> um, Steve-O-esque left a really long combat. Sorry, my, he- my head really hurts today. I don't know what's wrong. I can't think right, so... Sorry if I wasn't as good at commentary today, but my head well, it's is be- it's, it's, it's so the- fuzzy. It's because of antimimetics, obviously. Is it? Because my head's actually just fuzzy. <laughs> ah, I, time for I, another I, episode of... I made you ill to b- coincide with this theme. You bastard. steve Esk says, Ah, time for another episode of discovering some concepts of philosophy in the human condition. Edit, oh, and in my opinion on the Stalker games, my favorite is Call of Pripyat slash Chernobyl because it's the most stable, and for some of the ultra-tactic-cool gun mods that are blah 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 blah, Shadow of Chernobyl has the best atmosphere on modern in my opinion, that's thanks to its underground sections that were made before a whole chunk of the staff buggered off to form the company behind the... Alright, none of this is about SCP, this is my about the Stalker the games. My favorite Stalker game so, is the Hunger Games Catching Fire. Oh, right, this is what I wanted to get to. Also, you'll... Wait, no, never mind. Okay, I think I read the wrong comment. Sorry. You, you, get, you got half your comment read, Stevo. <laughs> I think I read the wrong comment. <laughs> What's going on with you? I don't know. I took too many amnestics. Shythalia says, Finally all caught up with the series. Listening to this podcast always puts a smile on my face. You guys are hilarious. I would never have known about this if Tanhony was never invited recently as a guest for the Special Containment Podcast. Hell yeah. Nice to have you. Glad you're enjoying it. Comedy Man Kelp says, I gotta thank you guys for having King Jay on the podcast. I remember that time we were hanging out at his $6 billion mansion, and I asked him if I could borrow his private helicopter, and he said, Which one? <laughs> Good times. He brought up the possibility of someone escaping from 3008 into a different dimension than the one they're from, which reminds me that I heard somewhere that the, somewhere that the reason the staff member was, killed the journal author is that he was escaping into the wrong dimension. Also, hashtag bring SCP-3008 journal author back 2021. He needs to come back like fucking Avengers. Like, on your left. Lang Lim says that feel when funny Ikea is the author's second SCP and it's now one of the most highly rated articles on the site. This is true, but it is mere jest. I don't know which part is jest. Well, I believe it's all true, but it's sort of jestfully. <laughs> just a jest. Jack Knight says this episode was really cool, but this Jack Who guy said this guy sucks. can He's comment on my video. Yeah, Jack Knight's banned. I'm reporting his YouTube comment. I'm killing him. Wesley Toth says, yes, the narrative makes SCP-3008 a compelling anomaly. I can see why it's a fan favorite among the community. Never land for boomers. Gives me a chuckle. Thank you, Wesley. Um, <clears throat> Boris WW says, now you should watch the containment episodes about Ikea. And I said, what's containment? And he sent me a link. He said it didn't have any spoilers, but I was going to ask you about what that is. Maybe and if we'll I could watch click it, it or not. as part of the channel someday, maybe. 
Maybe. Maybe. Maybe. Um, maybe when Runo comes out. <laughs> Daniel Zach Game says, SCP-3008 is better than Game of Thrones Season 8. Don't at me. Really enjoy your podcast. It's the highlight of my seasons? week. What uh, season? What season are we, we this would... Well, if if it's standard TV shows, twelve episodes. What are we at? Like episode forty-seven? Jesus. We'd be in the they middle of season four. We're like on the fucking CW here. <laughs> <laughs> or if we do it by year, then this is still season one until March. Okay. If, if it's like we're gonna TV, take you so, back we're like to in the, the past. fiftieth season now. Yeah. Wait, what? How? <laughs> the, the, the joke that British TV shows have really short seasons. Oh, that's true. I noticed that like a British office has like six episodes. Yeah, but they're all so good. <laughs> Are they? I don't know. I've never seen that. Exactly. And lastly, an anomalous writer says, oh yeah, it's Ikea time, baby. Hell yes. That's exactly what he sounds like. <laughs> toast, toast, oh, yeah. toast, toast. <laughs> Fucking A. I was going to make a joke, but I already forgot what it was. My brain is so weird today. I can't think straight, Tan. Help me. Don't worry. Do you remember your father? I remember the angry video game. You seem like you're on edge. I am on edge. I'm not Tan Hini. I'm Alistair Gray. No, I throw a phone at you. What are you going to do now, idiot? Idiot, I bash you with my phone. Stop! Stop! I'm just a man! Defeated at once, Alistair. So, we've got nothing else to say. We're just sort of staring wordlessly at our computers. I mean, go read Aetheral Space because that's well, something you don't. can't forget. Actually, no, don't even follow that joke. Do read it. Do read it. Do read it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. <laughs> so desperate. Uh, no, but for real, Tan wants to eventually like publish and be an author and if you guys obviously we're not telling you to do it just to do it but if you do read it and you do enjoy it leaving a review on royal road will boost its views which will give him more credentials that would help him publish which would be super duper helpful i might release my prisoners if you do what prisoners don't worry wait where's my mom thanks for watching discovering scp this week everyone (laughs) i hope you have a uh griefless summer Please leave a review, and also go check out Good Morning Poon Poon on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. You will, won't you? Mm. That's all I ask. Uh, Bye. Bye.